Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest, and we're back at it again, this time bringing you weekly roundup number six, and today is February 26th, 2022, and what a show we have on tap for today. We have a lot of stuff to get to. We're going international, local, domestic, (laughs) you name it, we're going to be there Kind of touching all the spaces, as we always kind of do. That's kind of what we do here at the Black Agenda. We like to keep it interesting for you, so you never really know what to expect. So let's kind of jump right into it, and we're going to start um, in Washington, D.C. with the Biden administration. Uh, They are expected to announce that they are going to significantly loosen federal mask-wearing guidelines to protect against COVID-19 transmission uh, on Friday or yesterday, and this is according to two people familiar with the matter. And this means that most Americans will no longer be be advised to wear a mask in indoor public settings. And so this new policy comes as the Biden administration moves to shift its focus to preventing serious illness and death from COVID-19 rather than all instances of infection as part of a strategy adjustment for what they call a new phase in the response as the as the virus become, becomes endemic. So it's not going away, Adrian, but I think we have finally come to the point, to the realization that we have vaccines, we've got booster shots, we've got, I think, even pills that can help protect you against COVID-19. We're pretty much armed to be able to live with this now. Now we can get closer to normal. We're not completely there, but this is sort of the start of it. I agree, Devin. I I think that at certain point, you know, we were going to have to get to this point regardless. I mean, it's like um, we can't forever wear masks. I'm, you know, I've I lost family members. Everyone else has lost family members. People have been sick, but we still have to move on. Um, at the end of the day, because it's you know going on you know two years or so that we've really been you know hunkered down. So we've got to figure out what we can do. So I'm glad that the administration. Uh, and the CDC is working to kind of figure out some new protocols there. But to take us to another store, we're going down to Florida. We know we, we always talk about Florida this past month, but uh, interesting bill that we see here, a proposal rather. And I wanted to bring this to everyone's attention, uh, listeners, just because, you know, we did an episode last season on infrastructure. And sometimes when we talk about racism, we you know, often think of it in the more historic sense, but this is something that's happening right now. So if approved, a proposal for a $450 million bridge would cut through a historic black community in Florida and possibly undermine its redevelopment. The two mile long bridge is one of several plans under under consideration by the Florida Department of Transportation. However, the potential for harm to the historic Cistrunk community has residents worried. This reminds me of our uh, tuba mate, uh, Brady Cistrunk. Maybe this is this, this family's town or something. But listeners, y'all don't know who that is. That's just me and Devin thing. But according to Fort Lauderdale Community Redevelopment Agency, Cistrunk is Fort Lauderdale's oldest black community, one comprising working families, mom and pop small businesses, historic churches and landmarks. The neighborhood is in the midst of ongoing redevelopment, as I said earlier. The Department of Transportation in Florida says it's getting feedback from the community, but that the Broward County Commissioner's Office has the final say on the project, and they'll be taking everyone's votes and considerations, but they're going to have some hearings, and they'll pass their final judgment in the spring. But listeners, like I said, we wanted to talk about this a little bit because, you know, Black History Month, we always talk a lot about, you know, Black Tulsa and a lot of the communities that we've had a lot of Black wealth and have 
how those communities have been stripped because of different things. And this is one of the things that we see here. Um, you know, I hope that, you know, the Broward County Commission uh, Board listens to all of these complaints because, I mean, you've got a black community that's going through redevelopment. You've got, you know, historic landmarks there, historic churches and things like that. I don't know, you know, I think from Devin, from when I was reading, they wanted, they want to put this bridge to help, you know, with congestion and, you know, highway travel and all that kind of stuff. But surely, you know, with all these other um, factors, even the mayor, I believe, from what I was reading in the article, isn't very supportive of it because, you know, obviously, you know, all the pressure with, you know, black rights and things like that. You don't want to be the mayor that, you know, has your name on a bridge that's going to displace a lot of black Americans. But we're still going to talk about it and see how it ends. No, as we should. I mean, this is, you know, this would be a mistake that we have committed in the past. And so if we did this and they went went ahead and approved this, this would be to me a signal that we just haven't learned anything. You know, I mean, we had an episode about infrastructure and how infrastructure, while the roads and bridges and the cement is not racist, the people who laid them, the people who drew the maps and decided where these bridges were going and roads were cutting through neighborhoods, those people could were racist in their intentions and why they put it in certain places. And so this would cut through another historically black community and tear it apart and this would just be more of the same things that we have seen and we're trying to put an end to this. You know, it's not that we don't support these projects, but there has to be a different way where you don't have to cut through a neighborhood. And it always happens to be the black neighborhood that's on the short end of the stick. And So um, hopefully they choose a different path and figure out another way of, of reducing congestion or, you know, maybe public transportation or something. There's got to be another way rather than just, you know, eminent domain and running a bridge through another uh, black neighborhood. So we'll, of course, keep you updated on the Sis Trunk community. And shout out to Brady Sis Trunk. Hopefully he's listening. <laughs> he got first time being mentioned on the show. Uh, <laughs> he's probably not listening, but hey, he's probably you know, you not. Know. we need to send him a link to this episode with the timestamp. Exactly. Yes, we should. We should. So shout out to Brady um, getting name dropped on the show. Uh, really good tuba player. We have some good times in Mississippi State. So shout out to him. But we'll, of course, keep you updated on that story as it's happening um, down in Florida. So we'll move from there. We're going to go to not sure where we're going here. Boston University uh, looks like here they they, um, they have America's first newspaper dedicated to ending slavery is being re- re- resurrected and reimagined more than two centuries later as the nation continues to grapple with its legacy of safe slavery. And uh, uh, excuse me, it's legacy of racism. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, The revived version of The Emancipator is a joint effort by Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research and the Boston Globe's opinion team that's expected to launch in the coming months. And so Deborah Douglas and Amber Payne are the co-editors in chief of the new online publication. And they say it will feature written and video opinion pieces multimedia series, virtual talks, and other content by respected scholars and journalists. And so the publication also hopes to serve as a bulwark against racist misinformation with truth-telling explanatory videos and articles. And while this new emancipator is primarily focused on the Black community, they expected to, they wanted to stress that it will also tackle issues facing other communities of color, such as the rise in anti-Asian hate during the global coronavirus pandemic. So Interesting story there coming out of uh, Boston, seeing that they're reviving a paper 
Um, I would say it's good news, Adrian, but it definitely does show the, a sign of the times that we still have some of those same problems. And people think it's, you know, we should reach back and revive, you know, a once storied newspaper because we still have problems that we're dealing with and we're not being honest about it and not having honest conversations. You know, that's America's problem. You know, uh, I feel like for decades we've been talking about better schools. Uh, we've been talking about, you know, raising wages. We've been talking about, uh, you know, expanding job opportunities. Um, we've been talking about health care. I mean, <laughs> it's so many different things we've been talking about for decades. And I'm just like, you know, it's not going to change until we have more initiatives like this where people are just bringing it to light and just forcing you to see what's going on. And then, of course, we've got to have some some congressional change. We've got to get some of these old heads out of office uh, and replace them with some people who see the way life is supposed to be, which is equality, inclusivity, um, diversity. So uh, we'll leave it at that, uh, listeners, on that story. We're going to go to another one here. Uh, about Colin Kaepernick. Um, you know, he's been in the media a little bit lately, um, doing some things with advocacy and being an activist. Uh, one of the things he's working with is uh, police-related deaths. He's launching a new initiative that would offer free secondary autopsies to families of anyone involved in a police-related death. Through his Know Your Rights camp, the measure collaborates with a panel of board-certified forensic pathologists who perform autopsies, disclose preliminary findings, and issue final reports to families requesting them. The autopsy initiative's goal is to ease concerns about the objectivity and reliability of the first autopsy conducted, the risk of manipulation of evidence, and the potential bias on behalf of the coroner or medical examiner and or the use of flawed forensic procedures. World-renowned pathologist Dr. Cyril Welch, who is a coordinator of the Institute, said, I am extremely enthusiastic about this truly unique program, the opportunity to have unbiased second autopsies performed by independent, experienced forensic pathologists in police-related deaths will provide victims' families with knowledge that the true facts of any such case have been thoroughly analyzed and prepared for appropriate utilization whenever deemed necessary. So, Devin, that is awesome. You know, we've been talking so much about police brutality, uh, civil, uh, criminal justice reform, and this is a part of it to make sure that there is transparency, there's a proper protocol that's taking place whenever there is an autopsy. And honestly, there's been too many cases that we've seen in the past couple of years where the autopsies didn't seem to add up. You know, it seems like, you know, we've got the fixes in before, you know, before we even get all the facts. And, you know, people don't understand because I was, you know, I dated someone who was an embalmer and did some autopsies and stuff. And, you know, if, if you've got those connections like that, that's a very powerful thing to where you can, you know, manipulate the evidence because, you know, during that autopsy procedure, whomever is doing that has a lot of different, you know, power to do, you know, change things, you know, clean up some stuff, fix some stuff. Um, there's a lot of things that the embalmer, you know, does as a part of that. So, I'm glad that, you know, Colin Kaepernick is doing some stuff in this area. Um, I, I think that this initiative is going to be busy because, uh, unfortunately, cops are still killing us. So uh, they're going to have some work cut out for them. No, definitely. I think it's a great way to try to fight the problem, you know, that, that we have. And I would like to see it, you know, be expanded past just police related deaths. I think that a lot of times you know, autopsies for crimes where someone 
you know, Black was was killed or something like that. Could be these sort of second opinion autopsies could be used. And I think it's a great way to try to go at the problem. Not something I would have thought of, but that's it's a great point. Like you say, evidence can be tampered with. And that includes the coroner and the people who are doing the autopsy. So, you know, I mean, there was a lot of discussion over George Floyd's autopsy and whether he had drugs in his system. So there was a whole, you know, battle over whether or not he was on drugs and that influence. You know, it's just because when you arrest somebody and then they end up dead later that, you know, during this whole incident. If you say, oh, he had marijuana in his system or he had fentanyl or, or cocaine or anything like that, then it becomes sort of as an excuse for why this person deserved to die. It's like, oh, look, they were a drug user. So they deserve to be killed. So that's when why the drugs didn't even have a, you know, any you know part of the death. It's, you know, exactly. And that was the thing about George Floyd. It's like, OK, there were drugs in his system. But does that mean that he deserved a knee on his neck for eight minutes? But to some people. Yes. Some people, that means he did something wrong at some point. He deserved, he may not, may not have deserved to be killed, but he may, he deserved to be arrested and thrown in jail or different things like that. So, um, shout out to Colin for, for trying to do some, some good work, um, in the community. So we'll move from there. We're going to go to another story here, uh, where three men have admitted to conspiring in the name of white supremacy to attack power grids throughout the U.S. as part of a plan to cause a race war. And so officials said the men who are from Ohio, Indiana, and Texas believe that attacking and damaging regional power substations will lead to economic turmoil and civil unrest. And this is according to Timothy Langan, who is the assistant director of the FBI's counterterrorism division. So their plan was to attack the substations with rifles, and each was assigned a different substation uh, in a different region of the U.S., the men believed it would cost the government millions of dollars and cause unrest. And so their plans were derailed when law enforcement pulled over their vehicle for a traffic stop. One of the men swallowed his suicide pill during the traffic stop. He survived. And then, unfortunately, he survived and he's going to have to face trial. They're now facing a maximum of 15 years in prison. I feel like that's a little low for a plan like that. I don't want to see, you know. 30 years. Let's, let's double that for what they were trying to do. That's pretty serious. But um, yeah, if it would have been a marijuana charge and if it would have been black, hey, 25 yeah. to life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I wanted to bring it to light a little bit. It's an interesting story just to think that some, some people tried to incite some sort of race war by damaging power grids. That's almost seems like a stretch to me, but, you know, hey, hats off to them for coordinating and planning. Um, you know, if they could use that energy and that effort for something productive, man, I mean, our world would be a better place. Um, <laughs> but to um, to wrap up this segment here, um, some, some quick little stories here. One, I just want to say, if, if you're a member of Black Lives Matter, get your shit together, please. You know, y- y'all are representing us and y'all can't disclose where you're putting your money. So if you're part of the Black Lives Matter, you need to call your chapter president, get them to call the state, get them to call Patrice and uh, Opal and all the other ones. I can't remember the other uh, the other lady's name, but uh, there's a story here about Amazon suspending Black Lives Matter from their charity platform. And it's just because the company, uh, rather the organization, has not been disclosing how it's using its donations. I mean, they've got over $50 million in donations that they haven't really disclosed how they're using it. 
And this actually isn't the first time that this has happened. I think we've talked about it back in, you know, 2019. Um, uh, it, it also happened. And even uh, last year in May, the co-founder and executive director of Police Colors actually resigned because of some scrutiny from her growing million dollar uh, property empire. So, mm. you know, Devin, when I saw this, I was just like, you know, <laughs> get it together, Black Lives Matter. That's all I could think of. You know, this is one of those moments where, you know, those on the right who called out Black Lives Matter for all the money that they were raising last year may have had a point as far as where that money was going. I think both there were some people on the left, too, who were questioning the things that they were doing with the money and just how little of it was getting down towards, you know, to the people on the ground. I think we may have even talked about just the enormous amounts of money that they were making. And I think they were piloting some sort of program where they they were giving families money, but it was a very small group and it was a very like a pilot program essentially. So um, yeah, I I get it. Yeah. Get it together. Like Adrian said, Um, we don't want to see that, especially after everything that had happened, you know, during the summer when George Floyd was killed and the uprisings and people were giving money, thinking it was going to make a difference in the community. And it, I will say I'm, it, it hasn't. We haven't seen tangible benefits of that. And that's a little disappointing. And when something else happens, when the next person gets killed by the police or something else happens, people are, are going to be more cautious when they donate because they're going to say, well, shoot, I donated to Black Lives Matter in 2020 and it didn't change my community. My schools didn't get better. No money and I don't even better. know where the money went. And then, they don't <laughs> even know. It just disappeared into space. <laughs> I mean, no, it apparently just, it disappeared into this uh, property empire. It Maybe. just looks. It, could be. <laughs> it just looks bad. It just even if they're even if they have they can show where the money went to just from a PR perspective. This looks horrible. You look disorganized, and get it together. <laughs> Get it together. So we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, we're going to go international and talk about Russia and Ukraine and what's happening there. And also why there was a report that Queen Elizabeth had died. But apparently that was fake. So we're going to talk about that after the break. So stick with us and we'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And give a few dollars while you're at it. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get back into the second segment here. So like I said, we're going to go international first and talk about Russia and Ukraine. So it seems like all those those weeks and episodes of us telling you, hey, Russia might invade Ukraine, it has finally happened. And so... Early in the morning on Thursday, local time, Russian President Vladimir Putin launched what he called a special military operation into Ukraine with attacks coming from multiple fronts from the north, east, east and south. And as of Friday, Russian troops have reportedly closed in on Kiev, which is the capital city of Ukraine. And so the Biden administration has warned that the con- warned Congress that the capital Kiev could fall pretty quickly. And they're talking within days. I mean, Ukraine is already a much smaller country, so that's not totally surprising, but they are putting up a pretty good fight. And in response to the Russian invasion, the United States has imposed the toughest financial sanctions ever on Russia, and other allies have joined them in putting harsh penalties on Russia. And on Friday, 
the United States and the European Union announced sanctions on Vladimir Putin himself. And so that, although it may not be a big deal, it just shows that they are united in trying to punish Russia for what's happening. And just to give you some some background as far as what's going has gone on, at least 137 Ukrainians have been killed so far. That number is likely higher as we're talking here uh, Friday night. And the Ukrainian president has said that more than a thousand Russian troops were killed in one day. And so take that with a grain of salt. But if that is true, that's a pretty uh, shocking total of deaths for Russia. Uh, but the U.S. believes that Putin's ultimate goal is to overthrow the current government in Ukraine and install a puppet regime that he can control. All of this is going on because he's claimed or Russia's claiming that Ukraine was going to join NATO. I don't know if that was ever truly on the table, but regardless, Putin has invaded Ukraine and they are currently fighting it out. This war, though, could have effects for us here at home. Gas is already high. I paid $3 and I think 20 cents and almost lost my mind. But it could go even higher. There's been reports that gas could hit $5 a gallon in some places if this whole war continues rolling on. And as you know, Adrian, Russia supplies a lot of oil to the rest of the world. If they were to cut that off, we could be in a world of hurt. I don't think they will because they need the money from us buying their oil. But this whole conflict, this war is something people didn't think we were really going to see. And it's sort of surreal to actually see it happen. Russia sending in tanks and troops and, you know, jets. And I mean, it's pretty wild to see here in the 21st century, this sort of war taking place. And we could be on the brink of another, you know, I wouldn't say World War Three, but we don't know what Putin's going to do. So you never really know what's going to happen. Yeah. I I think it could definitely be something big because I mean Russia is 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 a is a, is a pretty gl- big global power. I mean they've got a strong military presence. They've got allies. Um, I haven't kept up with this as much, so I'm I'm curious as to what you know what China is thinking or doing in all of this because you know they're a, a another big player. I'm not sure if they're on Russia's side or if they're on our side, but. Um, they're there. I mean, they have they support what Russia is doing. Uh, but the interesting thing is, of course, they're getting they're supporting Russia and what they're doing. But they did not go with Russia during the U.N. Had a, the U.N. had a Security Council meeting basically to say, like, condemn what Russia is doing. And it was an, an 11 to one vote and China abstained instead of voting against it like Russia did. So, I mean, it, they're supporting Russia, but they're not like a full throated we're totally behind you kind of thing. But they also blame us for this happening because they believe we're the reason why NATO is even flirting with the possibility of inviting Ukraine in. So, I don't, you know, China's there. They're backing them. It's <laughs> yeah, not I full figured, throated. Uh, but. You know, it's it's <laughs> one of those things to where I, I think we're going to have to do a lot uh, economically because I'm sure we, we don't want to go to war. And the only other thing we can, only other lever we could play here is with economics. So mm-hmm. uh, that might just mean some high gas prices. And that might mean we not, we need to roll out these electric <laughs> vehicles a lot sooner and get this up and going. So we don't have to rely on it, but enough uh, foreign policy. We hope that you've enjoyed that. You know, we'll keep you in the loop on what's going on with the Russia conflict, but to take us to, you know, not stateside just yet, but you know, a little bit, 
Uh, this is about, you know, somewhat, you know, what Devlin's talking about, this uh, fake news or misinformation about Queen Elizabeth. Earlier this week, the celebrity news site Hollywood Unlocked published a baseless report announcing that Queen Elizabeth II was found dead Tuesday morning. The shocking news came just days after Buckingham Palace confirmed the 95-year-old monarch had tested positive for COVID-19 and was having cold-like symptoms. On Friday morning, Hollywood Unlocked published a post titled, Fact Check, 10 Reasons We Believe Queen Elizabeth Was Dead. The post wraps with a statement credited to both founder Jason Lee and the Hollywood Unlocked team reading, Although I've never been wrong when breaking a story because this involves a queen, this is one time I would want to be. And based on Wednesday's report from the palace, I can say my sources got this wrong and I sincerely apologize to the queen and the royal family. However, Hollywood Unlocked founder Jason Lee is still convinced the queen is dead. <laughs> Interesting story. Um you know, I, I don't know what you can say. I guess she's got to, you know, make some sort of public statement to, uh, you know, put Jason Lee to shame. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he put the story out there. And the, and the crazy thing was he doubled down after the bigger news sources like the BBC and the AP were saying, no, the Queen's not dead. There's been a report of that. He doubled down and said, my sources are right. The Queen has passed away. But then he finally apologized, but then he still believes she's dead. So I'm, I don't know what's happening um, with that. But as far as we know, Queen Elizabeth is still alive. She's just battling COVID-19. Um, so we'll keep you updated, I guess, as far as whether she did pass away. Um, but we'll move from that story to a bigger story here. Uh, stateside, among everything else that's going on, President Joe Biden did announce Friday that he was nominating Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson to succeed Justice Stephen Breyer on the Supreme Court. And aside from becoming the court, the high court's first black female justice, her confirmation, if successful, would mean two black justices would sit together for the first time on the bench. So Clarence Thomas is the, is the only, <clears throat> he's the second black man to serve on the Supreme Court after Thurgood Marshall. So Katanji Brown-Jackson would be the first justice to have worked as a public defender and at 51, she would be the second youngest justice behind Amy Coney Barrett, who turned 50 in January. And so just to give you a little bit of background, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson was sworn in as a federal judge for the district court in Washington, D.C. She is a graduate of Harvard University and has a husband and two daughters. So uh, it looks like she more than likely is going to be confirmed uh, as long as the Democrats stick together, which it looks like they will. The Republicans aren't going to vote for it, but at this point, it doesn't really matter because the Democrats have the votes. Um, and so far, she hasn't said anything controversial. So <laughs> should be smooth sailing. Yeah, I hope so. You know, <clears throat> uh, I I haven't followed this story yet, so I'm, I'm hoping that Manchin and Cinema aren't like going to like you know, put a crux in this or something. I know, you know, she's got the Senate confirmation hearing. So hopefully we will have this. I think uh, America deserves this. Um, so let's, let's, let's get it done. Let's, you know, get across the finish line, unlock uh, triple B, but uh, <laughs> to take us to another story, if you don't know, triple B is build back better listeners, but you know, uh, take us to another story here. This is an, an uh, institution or organization apologizing for their years of upholding structural racism. So 
This is about the Baltimore Sun. They published an editorial piece earlier this month and apologized for having, quote, sharpened, preserved, and furthered the structural racism that still subjugates Black Maryland Marylanders uh, in our communities today. Naming a list of the paper's offenses, the Sun pointed to its classified ads dating from 1873 about the selling of enslaved Africans and offers of rewards for those who escaped from bondage. The Sun also laminated that it, uh, excuse me, the Sun also lamented that it took until 1950 to hire its first black reporter and says, it hired too few black journalists ever since. The apology also cited editorials that were hostile towards black people, noting that the Sun was founded by pro-slavery and pro-segregationist Aruna Abel in 1873. Current editors promise that moving forward, the paper will hold itself accountable to more inclusive standards. You know, um, we've talked about how uh, other institutions have apologized um, for their role in you know, racism, their role in, in institutional racism and structural racism, slavery, different things like that. Um, I know last week we talked about the Cherokee Nation and their apology for mm-hmm. you know their role in it. Uh, and I believe last season we talked about the American Psychology, uh, Psychology Association. Some I can't remember their full title, but you know, there's been a lot of people coming out, uh, rather a lot of organizations coming out and saying, "Hey, we had a, a part to play in the detriment of Black, you know, America as it is today." Um, and and that's that's rightly so. I mean, I think that we've got to have more and more institutions. I think. These sorts of institutions that are coming out like, you know, newspapers, uh, American Psychology Association, they're great, but we need some bigger, you know, some bigger institutions who are going to actually do something uh, different, like maybe some housing uh, institutions and can maybe redo what they're doing or some uh, development, you know, corporations or, you know, so that I'm not I'm, I'm not like trying to say this isn't a good thing that we're getting these apologies, but I'm ready for some apologies. Apologies for people who can start to actually do something to undo uh, the structural racism that we see in America. No, you're you're exactly right. That was my first thought when I saw the story. I mean, it's it's good to get the apology, but I mean, they are doing some things. Looks like in the area, they have some initiatives that they are really trying to use as ways to give back and fix some of the things that they've. Um, reported on and the ways that they portray black people. I think that's the biggest thing. It's it's sort of like uh, a character assassination that black people have experienced throughout our time here in the United States. And it's, it's really a, a PR camp, one of the world's greatest PR campaigns. Somebody said that that's been run against us to portray us in a certain light. It's always being criminals and, you know, having less knowledge than white people and things like that. And news coverage plays a part in how people form their opinions about um, folks who are not of their community. And so it is, to me, it is a big deal to see a paper, a newspaper like the Baltimore Sun acknowledge that, yes, we have played a role in harming black people because of how we reported on them and not, you know, really being objective in the way that we portrayed them. But uh at the end of the day, it is a sort of empty gesture. Like, it's nice to have the apology, but we need some action behind it. But um, nonetheless, there are some other groups that need to step out and say, hey, look, we're sorry for what we did and acknowledge that 
starting with the federal government <laughs> and what happened during slavery and Jim Crow and everything else. They need to start first, but that's probably yeah, institution number one. <laughs> <laughs> institution number one, but it's gonna be a long way, a long it's gonna be a long while before we see that, I think. So I don't know. <laughs> but we'll move from that story. We're gonna go uh, to the CDC here, they have a new report that shows that the United States is continuing to see a rise in maternal death rates with black women still three times as likely to die in childbirth than white women. And so according to CNN, maternal death rates rose from 658 in 2018 to 754 in 2019 to 861 in 2020. And so in 2020, the maternal mortality rate for non-Hispanic black women was 55.3 deaths per 100,000 live births. And that's two, 2.9 times the rate for white women. And so according, and this is according to their report, these rates consistently increase with age with black women over 40 being 7.8 times more likely to die during childbirth than white women. Uh, the good news though, is that the Biden administration has committed uh, committed last year to a five point program to support maternity care including investing $200 million into a slew of services to help um, turn this, you know, fix this problem. But this has been something that's now just now starting to get a lot of attention. Um, So I'm glad to see that, you know, the Biden administration is focused on it and they're putting some dollars behind um, trying to rectify that. Absolutely. It's, you know, one of those things that we know that our, our black women are facing or black mothers in this case, are facing a lot of uh, difficulties compared to, you know, black men and then white counterparts, especially. So um, we definitely need to see this fixed. So thanks to, CDD, uh, thanks to the CDC for doing some stuff around this. Um, to kind of uh, wrap up this segment, um, this was an interesting uh, report that I had saw, you know, especially in thinking about Black History Month and thinking about how, it seems like the country is having a problem with talking about black history and talking about how um, historical aspects of American history have contributed to uh, certain factors of today, like, like I said, the plight of black American and black communities. But despite all of that, a, a poll from CBC excuse me, CBS is saying that 85% of Americans don't think books should be banned from schools if they contain political ideas that disagree with a lot of the things that we've talked about, like critical race theory, racism, and things like that. We've seen that, you know, throughout the country, more and more school boards and legislatures have tried to pass laws to ban certain books, but it is nice to see that a lot of Americans don't support that. Additionally, 87% do not support banning books for discussion about race or slavery. Also, 83% don't think books should be banned for criticizing U.S. history. Seven to one, uh, Seven to 1% of Americans believe that racism has been a major problem in the history of this country. And 58% of Americans said racism in America is a major problem today. The poll was conducted in mid-February in partnership with you, uh, with yougov.com or yougov. Um, so it's interesting, Devin, like I said, that this is something that we see. Uh, it's glad, it's, I'm glad to see that it's a thing. Uh, I hope that, you know, but that since more, uh, you know, more of the public feels this way, uh, maybe it can trickle to some of the actual congressmen and legislatures who are actually making the decisions, you know, for these books. 
No, I, I certainly hope so. And this, the thing that really stood out to me was that uh, 83% didn't think books should be banned for criticizing U.S. history. I think that's the one that sticks out because, you know, when we talk about U.S. history, we have to be honest about it and look through it. We can't just paint this rosy picture and just while we may love the country, we have to be honest about its history and our missteps and mistakes that we've made in the way that we've treated people and going into other folks' countries and things like that. So we have to have, be able to have an honest conversation. So I was glad to see at least 83% think that books shouldn't be banned for criticizing U.S. history because criticizing U.S. history does not mean you don't love the country or that you're not patriotic or you don't think the country is a great place to live or, you know, it doesn't mean that. It just means we have to be honest about the mistakes so we don't repeat them. And so I'm glad to see that 83% you know, of the country or maybe close to that believe that. So I was glad to see that uh, definitely happening. Um, so with that, yeah. Uh, no, my bad. I was I, I wasn't sure if you were going to wrap up or I was going to wrap up. So that was, that was my bad, uh, listeners. We don't we don't put stuff like that in our script. We just kind of cue it up. But um, what we're going to do, listeners, we hope you enjoyed um, the news. Uh, we definitely enjoy bringing it to you. But we're not done yet. You know, we got to You know, if we had ties, we would loosen our ties up and uh, get ready to be funny or whatever. But. Um, you know what it's you know what's about to happen. We're about to do our quick hit, so make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our quick hits here. So first up, we're going to talk about Hank the Tank. You may have seen this story. I saw the picture, but I didn't understand what was happening. And I saw the name. Hank the Tank is pretty kind of it's kind of ominous. But Hank the Tank actually turned out to be three bears. And it's a three bear battalion. So DNA evidence shows that the 500 pound black bear that the public had nicknamed Hank the Tank is, in fact, at least Three not-so-little bears who have damaged more than 30 properties around Lake Tahoe in recent months. And so the bears are responsible for more than 150 incident reports in the region. And uh, this includes Northern California and Nevada. And this includes a break-in at a residence in the Tahoe Keys neighborhood last week. One of the Hanks (laughs) smashed the window Friday and squeezed into the house on Catalina Drive while the residents were at home. And so the police responded to that scene and banged on the outside of the house until Hank exited out the back door and disappeared into the woods. And they plotted their next, you know, target. So, you know, just if you're in Lake Tahoe or in the Northern California or Nevada area, look out for the Hanks. They are rampaging, rampaging through the area. Um, So just hopefully, you know, hopefully your house is not next. (laughs) You know, you can only you can only hope so. You know, I I only imagine these Hanks are probably hungry. You know, they're, they're, you probably. To, 
and, and I'm just like, you know, why why aren't why haven't they been like just captured and put in like a zoo or something? Yeah. I'm just like sh- they're, they're bears. This is like it's not like a man and hunt chaser like like some serial killer out on the loose. Like, we should be, <laughs> we should be able to catch three bears and you know put them in like a, a nice place so they don't have to be damaging everybody's property. But you know, well, they're I don't trying know. to find them. I think they mentioned in the story that the park service is capturing and tagging them. I believe in and letting them go, but they haven't been able to find these two, these three, the Hanks and Notorious now. So maybe they just, I don't know. They're extra good bears <laughs> getting away. Hey, they're very evasive. You know, they're like Donald <laughs> Trump. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, talking about Donald Trump, we're actually about to go up to New York. Um, doctors at New York hospital said a man who came in complaining of difficulty breathing through his nostril as found to have a tooth in his nasal cavity. Dr. Sandra Kona and Dr. Uh, Michael Turner, surgeons with Mount Sinai Health System in New York, said in a case study published in the New England Journal of Medicine that the 38-year-old man told doctors that he had trouble breathing through his right nostril for several years. Crazy. Uh, doctors discovered he had a deviated septum, a condition in which the partial, uh, the partition between nasal passages is pushed to one side, and a rhinoscopy conducted with a small, ca- small camera discovered the cause. It was a tooth growing on the floor of his right nostril. That's so bizarre. I feel like that should be like in like Ripley's Believe It or Not um, before they took it out. But the uh, ep- the eptoptic tooth, a term for a tooth growing in an abnormal place, was measured to be 0.6 inches long. So I, I guess that's not too terribly long, but I, you probably don't want a tooth growing in your nose anyway. But surgeons said they removed the tooth without complications. The man reported during a follow-up visit three months after the procedure that he was able to breathe normally through both his nostrils. So, you know, listeners, um, you know, maybe you have a deviated septum. I uh, I dated someone who had one. Now I'm thinking maybe he had a tooth growing in his nose or something. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Wow. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> That's pretty wild. I yeah, I don't even know what I would do if I if they told me, "Yeah, you got a tooth growing in your nose." Like, what? Like how does that, I'm just I'm just curious like how did that feel? Like can you if you rub your nose long enough, does it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't crazy. know. It, it just it made me think almost about the fact of like I was watching to tell the truth. And they were talking about like a lady who had a brown recluse spider in her ear, and she just said it just felt kind of like a little like a little tingle. And I was like, wow. Like how how does that feel like a tingle? You know, like I don't know how this. <laughs> You know, this uh, uh, tooth in your nostril just feels, yeah. you know, like that, but, you know, a difficulty breathing yeah. for years, but. Wow. Well, thank, thank, thankfully, he can breathe through both nostrils now, but geez, that's crazy. Um, so we'll go from New York down to Florida. No, no tooth growing in nostrils here, but we do have a woman, a shoplifter who was thrown a hissy fit after she got caught. So police in Florida say an alleged Walmart shoplifter threw a hissy fit before hurling a Barbie doll at the store worker's face when she got caught stealing. And it happened around one o'clock on February 2nd at a store located in Winter Haven. She allegedly, so the lady stocked up a shopping cart with food and groceries and moved it to the self-checkout area where police say she lingered for about 15 minutes before she tried to leave the store with the items. And then that's when the employees saw her and they stopped her 
It was four employees stopped her and video shows that she grabbed a boxed up Barbie and attempted to walk away before turning around and hurling it at one of the employees. And police say it actually struck one of the employees in the face and cut her lip. So uh, this person has been arrested <laughs> for, uh, for, for throwing the Barbie doll. But man, I tell you, you know, with the rise of the self-checkout at Walmart, I feel like this is going to happen more because it feels like every Walmart I go into now, the cashiers are gone and it's all just to self-checkout. And I know that self-checkout is notorious for people stealing stuff uh, because they believe it's easier. So don't steal from Walmart, folks. And definitely don't get caught on camera doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's really good piece of evidence. I mean... I will. I, I will definitely say, like at Kroger, you know, at grocery stores, sometimes, like if I get like an heirloom tomato, I might ring it up as like aroma tomato. Oh yeah. no, not you admitting to it. <laughs> I will. I will. Like I'll, I'll be honest and say I've done that. But we're I don't, gonna wait. I don't, we're gonna scrub that. Hold on. I, <laughs> but I don't. I don't shoplift. You know, I don't. I'm not like trying to. You know, completely steal an item. I'm. I'm giving them some money for. It. I'm just like. I'd rather I'd rather pay the ninety nine cent for a tomato than the two ninety nine for tomatoes. So, but you know, <laughs> oh don't shop with. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! But, but hey, you can't you know you can't do that with the Barbie doll. It's it's an all or nothing deal. You can't you know you can't ring it up as you know something else. Though you know one one like I had thought I was like you know what if you, you know if people weren't around you know you could like you know. If it weighs, you know, not that much, you could just put it on the scale as like some produce and just weigh your Barbie doll and move it over. Give people more ideas now. Hold on, (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna get shut down for pushing, (laughs) telling people that here's how you can steal from Walmart in the system. (laughs) Oh man, listen, I I I used to work at Walmart and we used I used to work in the self checkout area. (laughs) So just a fair warning to people: we can see everything that you scan. It shows up on the monitor. They can watch you. They can see everything that you're scanning. So if you go up there and we see you, you know, you have a, a you're Barbie doll in your hand and, and then you... mushroom shows up on the screen, then <laughs> obviously there's something wrong. Like, come on, people. It's like, oh, man, it is the funniest thing ever. And people will try to leave stuff in the bottom of the basket and try to act like they don't see. I mean, like, we've seen it all. So, like... You think you're getting away with something, but trust me, they know. They're watching. It's very hard to stay, to steal from Walmart. They know. That's right. They they oh. know. They know. But hey, another yeah. <laughs> cool, interesting story. You know, if you if you're in the you know in the market to try to steal, maybe that's because you need some extra money. So here's an opportunity for you to make some extra money. Hopefully, you got a dog, and maybe if you don't have a dog, just go borrow somebody else's dog. Uh, this is a plant-based pet food uh, company in Britain is offering to pay a dog owner more than $6,000 to switch to their canine's diet for two months and keep track of their pet's poop smell. Uh, Omni, a company that specializes in plant-based dog food, says it is seeking, quote, a dedicated dog owner to sniff their dog's poop to test the effect of a plant-based diet that it has on the dog's digestion, stool odor, and general health, end quote. The winning applicant will be paid $6,685.82, such an odd number, to use Omni's dog food for two months and report on the effects the food has on the animal's frequency of bowel movements, 
poop odor, energy levels, behavior, sleep patterns, weight, and fur condition. Applications are being accepted right now, and they can you can go out uh, to Omni's website and you can put an application up until March thirty first. Um, you know, I don't have a dog anymore, um, but you know, I I don't think I'd want to go smell my dog. I mean, six grand. I mean, I would do some stuff for six grand, but I don't know if yeah. I would want to keep track of my dog's poop smells and stuff. I'm just like. My thing is like, can you give me some adjectives to how am I supposed to describe it? Like bad, smelly, <laughs> gross. You know, like give me some adjectives. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're looking for. Like, am I just like, is it supposed to smell floral? You know, I, you know, plant based. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's the strangest. I'm gonna say strange. I've never smelt. I mean, I've smelt my dog poop, obviously, but I've never just gone up to and like, you know, like, hey, what does this smell like today? I have noticed though, when we switched her food, sometimes with certain foods, you can smell the actual dog food in their poop. It really, it smells like really strong sometimes. So I, I have noticed that. So maybe that's what they're looking for <laughs> is to see if the if the poop starts to smell like the uh, you know the plant based dog food. But hey. Go, you know, you got to March 31st to try to win. Now, I wouldn't say try to win, but try to get $6,000. Uh, so we're going to go from there back to Florida, to Florida. We have Florida woman. Now we got Florida man. There's a, a Florida man who's been arrested for allegedly stealing a crossbow by stuffing it down his pants in Florida. Uh, his name is Darren Durant, and he was shown on CCTV at the True Value store on February the 2nd, and the 46-year-old can be seen walking into the shop with a crutch before taking a pair of cutting tools and removing the security tag on a Raven Rio crossbow. He can then be seen shoving the weapon down the front of his trousers before walking out. Amazingly, he made it out of the shop. He actually made it out, but he was arrested a few days later in the car park of a nearby store. So, uh, there you go. I mean, I don't know what's going on in Florida. They got all kind of stuff going on with the the governor and the senators, and now you got people throwing barbies at folks in Walmart, and you got a man stealing crossbows out of the True Value store. So, Florida's a wild place. I mean, this guy is talented, though. I mean, yeah. I, I and ballsy, like really ballsy. I just, I, I just can't imagine putting something like that into my pants and just like, I mean. I just would feel, I mean, I guess it's not a loaded crossbow, so I guess yeah. it's not a big thing, but I'm just like, how do you, it's gotta feel, it's gotta be uncomfortable. Definitely. And you like, gotta, how, how do you even walk past, like, how does somebody walk past <laughs> you with a crossbow in their pants? You not be like, well, like, obviously that store was understaffed that day. Cause I'm just like, somebody would have been like, dude, come on. I mean, I know yeah. you, you could be excited, but you're not that excited. I mean, <laughs> I'm glad you said it. <laughs> I was going to say they could mistake it for something else and they didn't want to make him feel uncomfortable. And, you know, but no, I mean, obviously, if you look at his pants, you could see some really big object or something like, come on. Now. Maybe he's a black man and they just didn't want to. No, <laughs> they just didn't want to, you know, just want to go. I don't yeah. know. Maybe. But we're not going to go there because um, we're black men and we don't want you to fetishize us. So um, to take us to, <laughs> to take us to our last story here, um, 
I was gonna say talking about fetishes, but you know, you know, I probably shouldn't say that because I'm sure there is probably a goat fetish out there. But oh lord, a Virginia sheriff's office is thanking a goat for assisting deputies during a foot pursuit with a fleeing <laughs> suspect this month. The goat named Gracie helped two deputies flush out a suspect they were chasing, according to Henry County Sheriff's Office. Captain Scott Baker and Deputy David Purnell came across a suspect and while they were investigating a domestic assault case in the Fildale area of Henry County. The March, uh, Martinsville Bulletin reported after telling the suspect he was under arrest, he fled, leading uh, uh, Purnell to chase him through a fence and across the field during the chase, uh, Baker said a goat on the property started, you know, helping the deputy. And then they got the suspect into uh, the woods and basically cornered him out. So uh, hats off to Gracie for being like assistant deputy for the day in Henry County. Um, you know, I guess I don't really know what goats are good for. I thought they were good for like, just, you know, eating grass and, you know, you know, if you wanted to, you know, not have to you know mow grass or something, but <laughs> I know they got goats milk for cheese, but apparently you can also train them to pursue uh suspects. So, um, Man. I know smart goat. better look out. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, I'm sure it's probably, it's a lot cheaper to have a goat. All I need is just some grass and stuff. You gotta, yeah. you know, Low maintenance. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But yeah, like I say, German Shepherds better look out, man. Goats could be infringing on their turf. <laughs> uh, but we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. So we hope you enjoyed our quick kits. We know, you know, we do. We have a lot of fun with that. So we're going to wrap this thing up. So stick with us. We're going to take one more break and let you know what's coming up next uh, on the show. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, become a monthly patron. Go to blackagendapod.com and click the donate tab or click donate under the timestamps as you're listening to the podcast. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we'd like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. So after today, our next episode is going to be coming to you on Tuesday, March 1st. That'll be the first episode of the month of March. So make sure you tune in for another great episode of conversation. And as you always as you always know, you should be used to it by now, but we always have a fantastic guest and we can't wait to unveil that on Tuesday, March 1st. So that's going to be our next regular episode. And then as far as the weekly roundup, you know, we're here every Saturday with you. So we'll be back next Saturday, March the 5th, to bring you weekly roundup number seven. So make sure you tune in for that as well. So March 1st is our next regular episode. And then March 5th is going to be the next weekly roundup. So make sure you tune in for all of that. And we'll bring you the news and another great conversation next week. Um, and also, before we go, we want to let you know you can help us out not only by downloading the podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. Hopefully you're doing that. You can also help us out by giving us a little bit of money here. And Adrian's going to let you know how you can help us out. Thank you, Devin. You know, listeners, if you heard our episode earlier this week, it was about reparations and restorative justice and how that has to be a fight that we have to continue. And it's a good fight. It's a fight worth fighting for. 
reason why I bring that up, that's that's why you should donate to us because we're trying to fight for stuff like reparations. We're trying to fight for stuff like, you know, better schools. We're trying to fight for um, making sure that our communities don't have bridges being built through them and having to end our redevelopment that we've already had to suffer so many decades of going through just to get here. We're trying to fight for all of that. So that's why we need you. We need you to go to our website, click the donate tab. As you're listening to the podcast, scroll down in the timestamps, click the donate button. Both of those are going to take you to the same platform where you'll be able to donate to us on a monthly basis. You'll feel good about what you're doing because you know you're doing something that's building something for future generations because that's what the Black Agenda is all about, building something that's going to be a movement to change our community. So like I said, go to our website, blackagendapie.com. Or use the timestamps, click on that donate tab, just scroll right on down, and you'll be able to give to us. So make sure you do that. The other thing we like to do, since everyone's feeling charitable right now, is talk about another organization. We like to pay it forward here on the Black Agenda. We're talking about the Equal Justice Initiative through the month of February. They're all about ending mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the United States. They're challenging racial and economic injustice, and they're protecting basic human rights for the most vulnerable people in American society. They're a nonprofit who are working to provide legal representation to people who have been illegally convicted, unfairly sentenced, or abused in state jails and prisons. They challenge the death penalty and excessive punishment and even provide re-entry assistance to formerly incarcerated people. So like I said, that's the Equal Justice Initiative, a cool organization. Make sure you go check them out. But if you're going to give some money, make sure you give to us first, and then you know you can give to the Equal Justice Initiative. But that's all I got, Devin. <laughs> No, that's great. Make sure you check out that organization. They're doing some great work, but also make sure that you help us out here at the Black Agenda Podcast. Hopefully you're enjoying what we're doing and bringing you the news and some awesome conversations. And we do need a little bit of help to keep that going. Um, before we go, we want to let you know you can keep up with this not only on social media, but also our website, which is blackagendapod.com. We've now launched a news section of this the website, which is blackagendapod.com forward slash news. It's called Our Voice. And we have some very, very talented um, interns here at the Black Agenda Podcast who are helping us uh, create some content. So you're getting a lot of different things from opinion pieces. We're getting poems. We're getting things about Native American tribes and Chicago. I mean, it's, it's some really awesome content that I, I encourage everyone to go and check out blackagendapod.com forward slash news. And also make sure you're following us on social media. Like I say, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at blackagendapod. So make sure you check us out there and keep up with what's going on when we're not here talking to you on the show. So for me and Adrian, we appreciate appreciate you staying with us. This has been another, another great edition of the Weekly Roundup. And so we'll be back with you on March 1st for our next regular episode And so until then, we'll catch you next time.